All righty. Well, my name is Lyle, I'm one of the pastors here, and just want to say welcome uh, to day one, sort of, for us in this new renovated uh, auditorium. Man, we are really, really excited. The pink is gone. Amen. We uh, we sold the last chairs yesterday, and they came and hauled those bad boys off. So it is. We thought about like keeping one section, like one square, in the wall somewhere that was pink, so we could just say, "Hey, this is what it looked like, right? This is this is what it was for so long." The irony of all this is, is when we uh, got our new chairs uh, brought to us on the front of the truck was a pink chair. I was like, maybe we're missing something. Maybe we're like, you know, maybe we're kind of in. We didn't even know we were in, right? And it's coming back or whatever, like tight rolled jeans right now. I don't know. That's, uh, maybe that's too young for you. So moving on. Um, yeah, I asked the staff to get me a clock so I can see what time it is. And boy, they got me a clock. I think I can see that from the road for crying out loud, right? I don't know if they're trying to tell me something about my age or about the brevity of sermons to come. Amen? Or maybe they're... They're praying that'll happen. So here's what I want to do uh, first half here, all right, just so, so we can kind of know. I've got two parts to my deal this morning. Uh, so I want to spend a little bit of time giving thanks, honoring some people that went above and beyond as far as work goes and making this a reality. And then I want us to spend some time in prayer as a body. I think it's very fitting for us on our first Sunday to spend some time in prayer. And then I'm doing, I promise, a little condensed version of a message out of James chapter 2. And so, uh, so yeah, I want to walk through just a handful of people and just give Thanks, and at the end of this, we'll, we'll clap for all of them that have done this. And so I just want to, first of all, just give thanks to our staff. Uh, man, our uh, guys like Josh, Elliot, Zach, um, Ashley Stevenson, uh, Jackie, our office administrator, and Greg Wilburn for the work that they did in order to make this a reality here during the evenings. Um, I want to give thanks to Elliot specifically and all the musicians that were here yesterday who stayed along uh, to, get, to kind of make the sound as best they can as we continue to make some tweaks to that. I want to give special shout out to Josh Jones, Drake Hatfield, and Mark Owens. Huge, huge thank you to you guys and what you do for AV. I want to give a shout out to Tim Wiggins and Greg Cooper who save us thousands upon thousands of dollars in heating, ventilating, air conditioning, all that kind of wonderful stuff. And they actually gave me my own vents. They are so awesome. Those two little squares up there, those are mine, all right? We're getting them adjusted. That's going to be blowing the back of my neck, amen? So no more sweating up here, and hopefully no more freezing for you guys. So, so just bear with us. But I'm just, the other thing that's really cool is that eventually I'll be able to kind of control that from my phone. Like I can like, oh, I need to be a little cooler. Drop it down a little bit, you know. So, all right, maybe you guys are not too excited about that. But I am. I'm really pumped, all right? So uh, really thankful for them. Thankful for Jeff Noska and Kevin Madcalf for who, are, who were here Wednesday night laying down all kinds of IT wires. Thank you to Andy and Derek, the chairmasters who dealt with my neurosis. And I think they set up these chairs like five different times, all right? So I, know, I saw one of you in here before, but thank you guys for uh, dealing with my psychoticness. Uh, I want to say thank you to Patrick Stewart, who's our director of facilities, who basically was kind of like project manager of this. And man, I uh, love that guy. He was in our 9 o'clock service this morning. Just a great, great job. Thank you to Dave Heine. He was in our 9 o'clock also, who's an architect that designed all this. Like, like, I could not envision it. And then when I get in here, I'm going, wow, this is way better than I ever could have dreamed or imagined. Uh, Dave Arnold was our general contractor. He's a member at East, and he's the one that made sure this got done in a timely manner, and he killed it. And his right-hand man, Carlos, was a blessing, man. I was hoping he would be here during 11, and I'm kind of looking for him, and I don't see him. But, man, he was a great, great blessing. So if I mentioned your name, and I know some of them were in the 9, but some of you are in the 11, do you mind just to stand 
just for a few minutes. I know it's kind of awkward, but would you stand and so we can just kind of clap for you. So if you, if I mention your name, come on now. There's got to be one person in here. I just saw Andy is in here, right? Andy, Greg, stand up. You guys stand up. Andy, you're in here. Yes. If I said I'd give you $20 to stand, you'd stand immediately. Come on. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Just being kind of goofy up here. Alas, I just want to say thank you to you and everyone who uh, is and has given to our Making Room campaign that we started a little over two years ago. And so your sacrificial giving uh, has made this a reality. And I just want to say thank you, thank you for doing that. And so um, I want us to kind of transition into a time of prayer and to sort of kind of guide our prayer time, um, I wanted to kind of read a psalm, Psalm 126. I, I read this on, um, on June 6th. So, I, so usually I kind of do the psalm of the day. So whatever date it is, you go to that psalm. And so I went to Psalm 6. Ah, that wasn't doing it for me. So then you go 30, 30 up because 30 days. Then you go Psalm, I went to Psalm 36. Ah, not doing it for me. Psalm 66. Ah, not doing it for me. Psalm 96. So it's kind of a long morning. Psalm 96. Ah, not doing it for me. And then I get to Psalm 126. And I felt like, number one, it, it, it did resonate with my own heart as, as I think about our church and where we've been. And I feel like it's really fitting for us uh, this morning. So I just want to read uh, the first three verses here. So here what the psalmist says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. That's beautiful, isn't it? When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter, and then our tongues with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done Great things for us, and we are joyful. I think a lot of us in this room could like say, yeah, that's, that's a psalm that speaks to my own heart. We can all kind of recount ways that the Lord has done great things for you. Even in the midst of really difficult and hard seasons, you can still see the Lord's faithfulness. And I think that is true of our church. In March of 2010, this church was birthed. Uh, through the, the generosity of about 25, 30 people of Lakeside Baptist Church. Mary Jo and Ray were huge in making this a reality. They had a vision of this. They didn't know exactly how God would fulfill it, but they had a vision of this. And that's why Mary Jo is almost in tears every time she rose in here on Sundays. Because eight years later, uh, over the course of these two services, we'll have close to 800 people that will walk through these doors. And look, guys, I, I realize that, man, and you, hopefully you know my heart. Uh, this is not about the numbers, and we're not saying necessarily that God is, you know, blessing us because we have numbers, but I am saying this, that each one of those numbers represents an individual who's made in the image of God who desperately needs to hear and be reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ, of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. The Lord has done great things for us, and we celebrate, and we're full of gratitude. This, this day reminds me um, a, a little bit of my wedding day, which my wife and I are celebrating 23 years today. So that's a little whoop whoop, we're excited. The big one, the big one's in two years, 25. We're going to do something big, amen? So you, don't, you only get 125, right? 
I, I, yeah, you're supposed to. So 125, you shake your head. Yeah, yeah, like you're, you're tracking with me. Uh, but thank God for the 23 years that the Lord has granted to us. And I don't remember a whole lot about that wedding day. I mean, it seems like a blur to me. But I do remember specifically like it was yesterday when I was standing in the front here right beside my pastor. And I looked down that aisle and I saw her coming down with her dad, Bob O'Dell. And I said, dude, man, I really married up. Amen, right? And I still say that today. She's just as beautiful 23 years later. And I didn't know this then, right? You look back on it and you think about these things. But, but at that moment, the Lord was kind of closing a chapter of my life as an individual, right? All the stupid, dumb, ignorant things, you know, as a single guy, right? He's closing that chapter. And he was closing a chapter of Kathy's life as an individual and all the wonderful great things because she's definitely the better half uh, than I am, that's for sure. And then the Lord was beginning to open up a new life, a new story of our lives together. And we had no idea what the Lord had in store. No idea, right? But we can't say this, that he has been faithful. Our Lord has been faithful through good seasons and really difficult seasons. And I think the Lord is, is starting something like that with us here, right? The first eight years of our family together, it's kind of like a chapter is closing. We can call that the pink chapter, amen, right? It, it's, it's closing, and there's a way I think the Lord is starting something new and fresh. And I think it's not necessarily anything new that God wants us to do here. He just wants to continue to be faithful to what he's commanded us to do, and that is to reach people with the gospel. That's why we're here. We're here to reach people with the gospel. We're here to build them up as a church, to help them live into this new identity as a child of God. What does that look like? How does that flesh out in my daily living? And that we would be sent once, no matter where we are, as witnesses of Jesus Christ. And be people who are declaring the faithfulness of God. So this is what I want to do this morning. I want us to, I want to spend some time in prayer and I want you to kind of pray uh, at your seat, all right? So if you want to huddle up with your family or if you want to grab a friend or a spouse or if you just want to be there by yourself, it's all good. I know this can be a little awkward, especially if this is your first time or if you're kind of a, not familiar with Christianity and that kind of stuff. I don't want to make this awkward, but I just want us to take some time to sit in this moment that the Lord has given to us. And I want us to pray together. And I've given us three things that will be on the screen that I'm going to ask you to pray for. The first one is this. I want us to give thanks for how God has been, done amazing things in and through us. And I would encourage you to think about specific things in your own life and maybe can bridge into like how he's been faithful and done amazing things for us as a family here. The second thing is this. I want us to ask and plead that God would continue to transform lives of many through the singing and preaching of the words of Jesus that happen here on a weekly basis. And lastly, I want us to pray that God would Establish us as a gospel-centered presence in this community for generations to come. Look, guys, I'm not just about the next 20 years. I'm about what we can establish here that 100 years from now, when all of our names are forgotten, no one will know our name. But my prayer is they will know one name, and that name is Jesus. And we will be a start there. We'll be establishing a community, a faithful presence of love that is pointing people to the beauty of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give us some time to pray. I want us to pray out loud where you're at, all right? Just, just go for it. I know that it can be really awkward if one person prays out loud, right? But if everybody prays out loud, ah, 
not everybody's, it won't be awkward, all right? So, so go for it. There's something about not just the, the encouragement of hearing the singing voices of many that are gathered here. There's also something that happens internally when we hear the people of God shout out and praise and prayer of God. So we're going to do that simultaneously. Just go for it. Huddle up, individual, whatever you want to do. Walk through these three things, and then I'll come back and pray us out of that. All right? So go. Our Heavenly Father, the psalmist says that you are good and you do good. The psalmist also says that we believe that we shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So Father, we come with our hearts full of gratitude this morning. Thank you for being at work when we see it, when we don't, when we sense it, and when we wonder where you are. When we feel near to you and when we feel displaced and forgotten, you are good and you do good. Our hearts are full of praise to you this morning as we savor yesterday's unmistakable sights and sounds of your goodness. We did taste and see that the Lord is good in the land of the living. It was a smorgasbord of your faithfulness and grace, mercy, and kindness. So, Father, we come not just with thankful hearts, but with hearts full of praise. But also we come with an expectant heart, Lord, longing for you to do more in our lives and in the lives of those people who are not here yet. So, God, we don't worship this physical space, but at the same time, we don't dismiss it as if it is at no value. God, the physical matters to you because it matters to you, it matters to us. And so, Father, may this physical space create a spiritual response that we would be a people who come every week and behold the beauty of God, that we would be a people who are continually making connections between the physical and the spiritual. So, Father, there is one name that we want to honor in this place, not just for the next 20 years, but for the next 100 years. When all of our names in this room are completely forgotten, may there be one name that will remain. May there be one name that our people will gather around and worship. And his name is Jesus. And we pray all of this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So if you got a Bible, I want to encourage you to go to James chapter 2. Passage of Scripture is also in your bulletin. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, those are some new Bibles. If you don't own one, I encourage you to take that home with you as a gift from us. We've got, we've got extras that we can replace a little bit later. So let's stand together as we normally do in honor of reading God's Word. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. So I just want to spend a few minutes here. I know we're you know, kind of tight on time, but I want to just spend a few minutes. This is one of the sections in James that you just can't skip over. You've got to unpack this. So hear the word of the Lord. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them 
what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Well, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete, and the scriptures were, was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I don't know about you, but when you, when you walk out into your yard during the wintertime, all the trees look the same, right? But when you walk out in your yard during the spring, you notice some stuff, right, with the trees. And maybe you see a few of these, like are in my yard. They don't have any leaves. I've got about four of them in my yard. One has leaves at the bottom half, but at the top half, there's no leaves, and that's usually Bad news, amen? So we've lost a lot of ash trees in this area. And when I look at those, I also see dollar figures because those bad boys cost a lot of money to get down, amen? And I am not looking forward to, I'm not cutting them down. That's for Dag, I'm sure, because they're too close to my house and that would be a little crazy. But here's what we know about trees, right? And we don't have to be an expert in trees to know this. Leaves do not keep the tree alive, Amen? Nor do leaves make it alive. But if there are no leaves, then guess what? That tree is what? Say it out loud. Dead. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can pray for a resurrection, but I don't think it's going to happen, right? They don't have any leaves, therefore it is dead. It's hollow. It is lifeless. And what James is saying here is that there is a kind of faith, a certain kind of faith that's just like that. A faith that is dead, that is lifeless, that is hollow. I mean, that's what he's arguing here in these 12 verses. I mean, it's very clear because he repeats it three different times all through this little passage of Scripture. First time is in verse 17 when he says this, In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is said out loud, dead by itself. Repeats a similar idea in verse 20. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Same idea there as dead. Verse 26 at the very end here. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. That is James' main point. That's the, the argument that he's building here and the 12 verses that we unpacked. And he does this in three creative ways. I mean, you, hopefully you caught this as we're working through this. He kind of builds his argument that faith without works is dead. So please hear me, and we'll get to this a little bit later. James is affirming that, yes, faith alone saves you. 
But there's a certain kind of faith. There's a type of faith that saves you. And it's a faith that produces works. If your faith does not have anything that's active, James is saying it's dead. It's lifeless. You're deceiving yourself. It's a lie. And so he does this in three very creative ways, and I'll walk through these really quickly here. But the first one is found there in verse 15, where you have this brother and sister, or brother or sister, who are fellow Christians, believers in Christ, who do not have basic necessities. And look what happens here in verse 15. If a brother or a sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to him, or to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed. That's just a courteous way in this time of just saying goodbye. All right, we, we don't have time. We love you. We'll pray for your need, right? But take it easy. So, or not take it easy. See you later is what basically they're saying. But you do not give them what the body needs. What good is it? And the answer to that rhetorical question is it's no good. It's useless. It's actually harmful. And so James is just saying, guys, look, and I know when we read this, it's hard for us to kind of see ourselves in this. So remember, last week, it's not that, that I don't see myself doing this. It's that we're asking the Spirit of God to help me see where I do this. As James is saying, hey, here comes a brother or a sister in Christ, and they're without the basic necessities of life, food, and clothing. You see them come to your door and say, man, I love you. I wish I could help you, but right now I can't do it because I'm way too busy. I got stuff going on. I got family. I got this. I got that. I got to get going. So, hey, maybe down the road you can find some help. That's, in essence, what's going on here. And James is saying this. If that's what you do, then your faith is lifeless. Your faith is dead. It's useless. It's no good. It goes on in the second one. The second little uh, illustration here, or creative way to kind of make his argument, is when he kind of uh, imagines some objection. Paul does this also in his writings. Like he'll anticipate questions that people will have, and then it feels like he's just changing the subject, but what he's trying to do is answer some of the anticipated questions of his readers. Similar thing is happening here also in verse 18. Look what James says. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then James goes on, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Well, whoop-de-stinkin'-do, right? That would be my translation if I was translating the passage of Scripture. But that's not me, right? James says, good, right? Even the demons believe and they shudder. So hear what, what James is saying. Yeah, you can have right theology. You can have all the right answers. You can know some verses. You can know Christianese. You can get all the lingo. But who gives a rip? Even the demons can do that. And they know good theology. They get who Jesus is. And the thing that James is trying to get across here is that even their behavior is affected by what they believe. What do you say they do? Say it out loud. They what? They shudder. So even what they believe about God affects their behavior. They Shudder, you could entitle the sermon, How Do You Know If You're a Demon? But I didn't think that would be a great sermon to start the new building off, right? <laughs> and like, you may not come back, right? How do you know you're a demon? Right? It's like, 
right. I think I'm going to a new church tomorrow or next Sunday, not tomorrow. I guess you can go tomorrow too on Mondays. It'd be great. So, but that's the second kind of creative way that he's laying out here that even the demons who have a belief, a sort of a theology, sort of a faith, quote unquote, and it also affects their behavior. They shudder. He goes on. The third little example he gives to us is an Old Testament characters, two of them. Two of these characters that they would have been well familiar with, Abraham and Rahab. And Abraham, and what he says here about Abraham is where all the controversy about James and Paul comes into play. So look what he says here in verse 21. So he starts off with Abraham. And I I don't have time to to share the whole full story. I just encourage you to go to Genesis chapter 22 and read the story. It's a great, great story of Abraham's obedience to God. Look what he says here in verse 21. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete, mature. It was made whole. So look, James does not deny that Abraham was given a righteous standing with God through his faith long before this event happened. But what James wants to emphasize here is that Abraham's faith was active. It was visible. That God's verdict that God gave long before this event happened here was reconfirmed on the basis of that activity, on the basis of that obedience. It goes on, it says in verse 23, And Scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, And it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And this is where everybody gets their underwear in a wad because it seems like James is contradicting Paul. Because if you go to Romans chapter 3, Paul says this, you are justified by faith apart from works. So what in the world is going on here? Well, here's what what we know here. James was familiar with with Paul's teachings. And so James is not intentionally trying to contradict Paul. Actually, what what is happening here, he's using the same word to kind of grab his reader's attention. It's almost like shock value. He's wanting them to wake up about a massive blind spot that is going on in their lives. And here we are in 2018, and we're still having that discussion. So it must have worked. Right? You know what I'm saying? It grabbed their attention. James is using justified, a very word that Paul is using, but he's using it in a a different way. He's putting a different nuance to it because justified can also mean to prove yourself right. It can also mean to justify your position. Same word, but a slightly different perspective. James is doing this on purpose to wake up his listeners. To help expose a massive blind spot that basically says this. I can pray a prayer and then if my life has never changed, then I'm okay. I'm kind of translating it to more modern terms. Or I can go to a class, go through confirmation, and walk out of that class, but my life has never changed. James is going, look, look, your faith is dead. Your faith is lifeless because genuine faith, legit faith, produces works. So look, James is not concerned on how does someone enter into a relationship with God. That's not James' concern here. 
He's not concerned with how do I get into a right relationship with God. James's concern is how do I know? And how do you know? It's seen, it's visible, it's evident. And then he goes on and talks about Rahab, which is a story in Joshua chapter 2. I encourage you to, uh, to look at that. Look what he says in verse 25. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works and receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So just briefly, the story is where Joshua sent some spies into Jericho. Rahab is a prostitute in that city. She hears about the kind of activity that God is doing for the nation of Israel. And with childlike faith, she believes that. So how do we know she believes it? How do we know that she really believes in this God that she's been hear, hearing about? She hides the spies. She's the only one that does it. So is she saved because she hid the spies? No, not necessarily. Her childlike faith in the God of Israel is what saved her. But the evidence of that salvation, the evidence of that faith is seen in her hiding the spies. If she doesn't hide the spies, she doesn't get saved because it shows that she did not believe in the God of Israel. But because she believed in the God of Israel, a childlike faith, she's willing to risk her life and save these spies. Her actions was evidence of the renewal that was going on in her life. So here's what I tried to do with this. Try to put together a little diagram, all right, to kind of make sure we're all on the same page of what James is trying to say. So I got this diagram out of a book, but when I ever try to recreate this diagram, it just doesn't look really good. So just bear with my bad art, all right? Actually, Brad, Brad Byram is the one who puts together my PowerPoint slides. And in my notes, this looks awful, but up there it looks really, really good. It's like, man, you killed it. I love you, brother. So thank you for doing that. So glad you don't get to see my notes here. But here's, here's kind of visually what, what we see here with James, all right? So these three are all big no's, okay? So the first one is works. Arrow means produce or results in salvation. Huge no. That's not what James is saying. You can't work your way into a right relationship with God. You can't do it. He's not saying this. Faith results in salvation. And what he means by faith is that, you know, you pray a prayer. You go through some kind of confirmation class. You, hey, I grew up in a Christian home, or I was born in the United States. This is a Christian nation, so I must be a Christian, right? Well, that, James is going, no, 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 that's not it either. And he's not talking about the bottom one here, and this is really important that we see. He's not saying that we need to have faith plus our works, and then that results in salvation. Faith, adding to that faith is goodness, kindness, being merciful, and then that results in salvation. That is not what James is talking about, and it's really, really important that you hear that. The best way I can kind of illustrate that is this. Uh, as most of you know, we got, we got four boys, and, and one of the common conversations that we would have with them uh, in our parent-teacher conferences, is that they would talk about, you know, kids are great, courteous, kind, do a great job, but they always talk about how loud they are. Like, we're a loud family. We are. I'm, I, and the reason why they're loud is because they got a little bit of me in them, right? 
Like, I'm just loud. I just, I can't help it. And we're, we're in the car. It's always like, man, can we bring the volume down? We're around the table. Decimal's really, really high. Five different conversations going on at the same time. Hey, can we bring it down and do one at a time? I'm not God. I can't hear everybody at one time. So, but here's the deal, and you, you get this. They're loud because they're a part of me, right? That my genes are in them. They're not loud in order to get in my family, right? They're not going, hey, Dad, I'm loud. Let me be your dad, right, or whatever. Be a part of the family. Like, that's not how it works. The reason why they're loud is because they got a little bit of Lyle in them. We can make the connections here, right? The reason why we love in the way that we do is not to get into the family of God, but the reason why we love in tangible ways is because we're a part of the family of God. You're a child of God, and part of God's DNA and his genes are embedded in you by his spirit, and so then therefore you act like a child of God. You don't act like a child of God to get in the family. You're in the family, therefore you act like a child of God. And the way to see that is the last one there. Faith produces salvation and works. So yeah, guys, look. Faith alone saves you, but that faith does not remain alone. It produces works. It's visible. It's seen. It's touchable. So just like the tree illustration, right? Leaves don't make it alive. But if there's no leaves, it shows that there's no life. Your works don't make you alive to God. You follow me? Your good behavior, your activity does not make you alive to God. You're alive to God. By the grace and mercy that is seen through Jesus Christ. And goodness, kindness, mercifulness comes out. So I want to end just with two pleas, all right? That's all I want to do, and we're done. The first plea is this. It's a plea to examine. So please hear me. I don't think James is trying to do this, nor am I trying to do this. I'm not trying to convince you that you're not a Christian. I don't think that's very helpful, right? I don't. I think it's kind of miserable, and some of you got a propensity toward doubt. You might leave here going, oh, gosh, I'm not a Christian. I passed up a panhandler this week. You know what I'm saying? So, like, none of this is perfect, all right? And so if you've got a propensity to doubt, maybe I'm not talking to you. But I do think James is pleading with us to examine our lives, Especially, guys, look, especially in our area, there's a danger of living in an overchurched area. And what I mean by overchurched is there's a ton of churches in the Louisville area. We're five miles away from one of the largest churches in the United States of America. And they've had a lot of good that's happened throughout this city. But the danger of any area that's overchurched is that you can learn the lingo. And just because you know what to say, you can convince yourself that you're okay with God. And that's an enormous, dangerous place to be. 
And what James is wanting us to see is this, is that you've got to examine your life. Legit, honest, real faith is visible. And the visibility that he's specifically talking about is not just going to church, reading our Bibles, praying, which is all part of the work. Yes, it's part of being a Christian. I'm not saying it's not. But specifically what James is talking about in the context is how do you care for needs? How do you meet physical needs of people? How are you merciful? Not just being kind to people, but you see needs and you meet those needs. That's part of what it means to be a child of God. That's part of what it means to have legitimate faith. What goes on inside of you when you meet a panhandler? Look, I'm not saying, nor is James saying that every time you meet a panhandler, you're supposed to give. But here's what I am saying. What's going on in your interior world? Do you feel compassion toward them? Do you feel like they're an equal to you made in the image of God? Do you extend mercy toward them? I think what James is trying to get you to see is if you pass by a panhandler and you're unmoved, then you need to examine. You need to look. What's going on in here is my faith real? Imperfect, right? We're not talking perfect. But there's progress. There's growth. There's a present love for God and a present love for others. If that is not there, then my plea for you is that you examine your own life. Lastly is this. A plea to respond to God's invitation. Here's what I'm trying to say with this. Every time that God gives us a command in his word where he says, don't do this and do this, it's an invitation into a beautiful life. We call it around here the good life. It's not the easy life, but it is the good life. And so every time we see a command from God that says, don't do this, do this, he's not trying to rob something from you. He's not trying to take your joy away. He's actually inviting you into the best life that you could live on this earth. It's a good, beautiful, deep, fulfilling life. He's not trying to take something from you. One of the best ways you can kind of see this, and, and maybe you've had this experience as a dad, or maybe you've watched this kind of happening, but it's at the pool when you got your three or four-year-old, right? And they've never jumped in the pool. And they're at the edge of it, and you're in the water, you know, however tall you are, maybe on your knees, maybe on your waist, whatever it is, right? And you're saying, come on, buddy, jump, come on, come on. And look, I know I can, I'm, I'm freaking, can you come closer? And you're like, Dude, if I come closer, I can just pick you up and throw you in, right? It's not much fun. And so, but the whole time you're saying, come on, buddy, come on. And so is that invitation from me as a dad an invitation to misery, right? Is it like, jump in? You're going to hate it. It's going to be horrible. You'll never want to do this again, but I want you to jump in, right? No, that invitation is into something good that eventually you'll love it so much that I'll have to threaten your life to get you out of it, right? You follow me? It's the same way with our, with our Father, guys. It is. Every command, don't do this, do this, is an invitation into a deeper, fulfilling, more beautiful life. Can we not all just 
agree on one thing, that the areas where we have some of the deepest wounds, not all of them, but some, the deepest wounds and the deepest regrets, is when we said, I'm going to do my own deal. I thought this was life. And I ran down that path, and it left me empty, wounded, broken. And God is going, hey, this is the best way to live, a plea to respond to God's invitation here and to how life is to be lived. So let me ask you, in what ways is God wanting you to step into someone's life who is hurting? Because I get that, man. Stepping into needy situations in life with people is messy and it's time-consuming and it's sacrificial. But it's an invitation from God to step in to a deeper, more fulfilling life. In what ways is God putting need before you and inviting you to respond to that need? Faith without works is dead. Let's pray together.